thanks Paul very much and uh, it's great to be back here. I've been here a few times but not for many, many years and uh, there's still some old faces that I recognise. You just look older than I last saw you, which is life. There's not much we can do about that Um, but it is and it's a great privilege to be uh, back with you and just to sense God's presence with you and his blessing upon you as a church community even as we're worshipping God together. Um, The whole of the family of New Frontiers, which is what you've been a part of for many, many years, is going through some tremendous changes and one of the things is that we're finding one another in terms of relationships and uh, that's why Paul introduced me in the way that he did. I hope that I will be less and less a visiting speaker at this church community and more and more part of this family because one of the things that we're doing together is pursuing relationship with one another. And I have the privilege now of, of finding out more and more relationships with more churches. One of the um, things that's happened to me in the last six months is I've now got back involved. I used to be involved in a lot of things and then I don't think they like me very much or something and I'm now back involved again and I'm involved with 23 churches in London that um, are part of the New Frontiers family, one of which is the church at Putney which means it's led by Matt Beeney who used to be Uh, late of this parish I think we can call him and um, it's a great church he's gone to and I just want to say to you I know that church very well and and Matt is doing an absolutely amazing job he's turned the thing around it's becoming very missional and really making an impact upon that area so thank you Hastings for giving someone like that to London and uh, maybe the things flow back into you as well Um, if you have your Bibles with you I'd like you to turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be around a few scriptures this morning, just uh, looking at a few different things. And I've, I've entitled this word, Grace on Display. And that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning, the whole deal of God's grace in our lives being something that is visual and experienced and seen by people around us. Uh, God's will is this church should display the grace of God and that Hastings, everybody in the whole town and the whole area will get to know something of the grace of God through us together as a church community. Before I read a few verses from Acts chapter 11, I just want to tell you a a true story, a a well-documented account of C.S. Lewis. Now, C.S. Lewis is famous more ever than today because of the Narnia books. He was also a very brilliant man of his time. He was a brilliant theologian. He was what we call an apologetic. He defended the Christian faith um, in a day when people were disputing that, as they still are today. And he was an Oxford Don. That means he's a very bright kind of guy. And uh, they used to gather, apparently, these Oxford Dons to often discuss religion, Christianity and different aspects of the world and God and his involvement. And on one particular occasion when they'd all gathered together, the topic of conversation was this. What is the difference between Christianity and all other world religions? And so as the Oxford Dons spoke to one another, they spoke about this religion, this religion and this religion and uh, talked about the good things that they do and the things that they believe and the differences with one another. There's one problem in this conversation, that's this, that C.S. Lewis wasn't saying anything, which was becoming exceedingly annoying to everybody in the room because apparently he was a man of many words 
and he often would lead the debates and he's just sitting there and a whole hour has gone by in this conversation and he said nothing. And obviously one of the dons is just absolutely infuriated by this silence. And so in the end can bear it no more and turns to C.S. Lewis and says, why are you not debating this subject that I know is very dear to your heart, the difference between Christianity and all other world religions? And the answer he gave was, well, after an hour of debate, I have to say to you, the difference is so obvious you still haven't got it yet. So I'm waiting for my opportunity. And it's actually all summed up in one word. And he said, the word is grace. No world religion understands grace. Most world religions, you and I have to do something in order to gain our salvation. Christianity is all about the grace of God and not what we do, but all that he has done. I think C.S. Lewis was absolutely right. So the next time you're in a debate with someone about world religions, just stay quiet for about an hour and then you give the answer. The answer is grace. Acts chapter 11 tells the story of evangelists that had gone out from Jerusalem and preached the gospel and Jews were being saved. And then something very strange begins to happen. People who weren't supposed to get saved start getting saved as well. Gentiles started to respond to the gospel. For example, in verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. You understand that church in Jerusalem have heard that all these non-Jews are, are becoming Christians and the big discussion is, is this real? Is this authentic? Are these people, non-Jews, really also coming into salvation? So they sent Barnabas to check it out. Verse 23. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man full of the Spirit and loads more people came to know the Lord. What's this story about? Well, the proof of authenticity, it seems to me, is not listening to sermons, but seeing something. Do you understand that in people's lives? It's like Barnabas turns, out, now, turns up, now is this the real deal? And I want you to look at that wonderful phrase in verse 23. When he arrived and saw the evidence, your translation may have saw the results of. Saw saw visually the evidence of the grace of God. This must have been a group of people that had heard about the grace of God, allowed the grace of God to permeate the whole of their lives, and then it became very visual. He doesn't say what it is, but somehow this message that had changed people was on display. And the authentic re re result was, he came back to Jerusalem and said, these guys are the real deal. How do you know, Barnabas? Because I saw the evidence of the grace of God upon their lives. I wonder if I was to come in here this morning as a stranger, what would I see? Would I see the evidence 
of a group of people who've obviously heard a message that has so changed their lives, so transformed them, that it's obvious. I can see it with my open eyes, what God has done for them. And I want you to see this morning, if you can just remember this as a pattern, you can hear a message, and that message is wonderful, but it's not enough. That message which is so wonderful is meant to transform your life. The gospel doesn't just save people, it transforms them. Salvation is the first door that opens, but it's not the last door. Oh, thank goodness I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I'll just live a normal life. The gospel has the power to save you from your sin, but the gospel has the power to so do a work in you that you're almost unrecognisable. You know, really, there should be people coming to your life and saying to you, you're almost... I I, I just can't recognise you. You're almost unrecognisable to the person I knew a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You know, if you ever go to those old reunions, which I hate and avoid with with great zeal, but if ever you go to, you know, all your class from years ago and you get into conversation, there should be something about you that's so unrecognisable because the grace of God has been something that you've heard and then it's been something that's changed you and then it's something that's on display. And a passion that I have personally with churches that I'm working with here in the UK and in many nations across the world is that this will be our testimony, that foundations of grace will be in our lives, that the world will see the transforming power of the gospel on display individually, in the workplace, in the marketplace, in the street, in the family that you're living with, but also corporately, that people will say, this is a community of grace. These people have the foundations of grace in the life of this church so that you can see it in everything that they say and they do. You don't know this this morning, but as a visitor, I'm watching. I'm listening, I'm watching, I'm wondering. Are these people a grace-filled people? Do I see it in the way that... You're going to be on excellent behaviour from now on. In the way that you respond to one another, the way you do things, the way you speak, the way you welcome. These might seem to you incidental things, but they actually are a testimony of what God's done in this church community. And I tell you, the opposite of grace, which is legalism, you can smell a mile off. And you can come into a community of people that are legalistic and you can sense it and feel it and taste it. So here's the principle. We need to hear a message, it needs to permeate our lives, and it needs to be on display, and I believe that's what you see in Acts chapter 11, and pray it might be our testimony. Jesus said in John 15, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you, and I've appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. So it's the same message, I've chosen you and one of the reasons is I want to do something in your life that will be attractive and be seen by all that's around, that you might bear fruit. What does he say about the church? You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. In fact, you are a city upon a hill and whenever I come to Hastings and on the ridge, I always think of you, a city upon a hill that cannot be hidden, can't be ignored. It has to make a difference because of the impact that the grace of God has made upon your life. So I want to do three things this morning, very quickly. I want to remind you of the message of the grace of God. I want to try and encourage you, secondly, to allow that message to change you, to permeate every part of your life. 
And thirdly, I want to encourage us to let this grace be on display to all that see us. If you'd like to turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. I mean, there are just so many passages of Scripture <coughs> that we could look at today to talk about the grace of God. But I'm just choosing this one in Ephesians and chapter 2. Let's read from verse 1. This is describing you and me. As for you, if you got it, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. You are allowed to look happy while I'm reading these verses. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Notice the word show. It's happened for a reason. He might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. What an amazing amount of truth. I can tell I'm in England because you're all quiet while I'm reading the scripture. Just come back from South Africa where everybody would be up hooping and going like mad. Anyway, we do it on the inside, don't we? <laughs> There's so much here and I haven't got time to unpackage, but I just want to unpackage it enough to remind you of this amazing message. And I get three things from this passage about the grace of God. The first thing is this. It is God who takes the initiative in transforming our lives. He does it all. It's not down to me. How do you know that? Well, look at verses 1 to 3. It's a description of you and me before we were Christians. What does it say? How does it describe you? Well, it sums it all up in one word. Dead. So here's my contribution to my salvation. I'm dead. And you know dead people? They can't do a lot about their situation, can they really? There's not a lot of life there. I don't think there's even grades of deadness. I think you're either dead or you're alive. And if you're dead, you really are dead. The reason I emphasise that is because sometimes, you know, you can meet people before they were Christians and they were addicted to drugs and alcohol and they were, never went to church in their lives, knew nothing of the Christian faith. I mean, we all look at them and say, yeah, 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 you were really, you were really dead. 
I mean, you were in the gutter. You were like far from the kingdom of God. Me, I was raised in a Christian home, so I've got far more chance of becoming a Christian. And actually, when you see, when you see these two things, how ridiculous it is, if you are far away from God in the way that you behave before you're Christian, you are dead. If you're raised in a Christian home, you are dead. You're just as dead as anyone else. If you're raised in a Christian home today and you are a Christian, that is as great a miracle as anybody who never had anything to do with the Christian life whatsoever. And here's the grace of God. We who were dead in our sins have been made alive. I'm dead. I can't do anything about it. How come I'm even here today? Or you're here today? There's only one answer. Through the grace of God, he made me alive. Christ made me alive. If you've been brought up in a Christian home and you're a Christian today, that is an amazing miracle. If you're brought up in a non-Christian home far from God, that is an amazing miracle. We are all miracles today. It's the greatest miracle. You say, we don't see many signs and wonders. Yes, we do. We see signs and wonders of people who, I mean, it's pretty good really, dead, now alive. That's quite impressive. You cannot make yourself alive when you are dead. He initiates it. I want us to get that truth this morning. You know, we come sometimes get besotted with people as Christian communities, with people who have what I call a really juicy testimony, which is full of remarkable things before they were in Christians. You know the kind of thing I mean? You know, I used to, I'm here to testify today, I used to hang around with women, I was a drug addict, I was an alcoholic, and then when I was five... I began to do other things. And you think, my goodness, what a testimony. And most of us are sitting here thinking, well, my testimony is really, really boring. No, it isn't. Your testimony is absolutely miraculous. This is the grace of God that he takes the initiative. And maybe we should be talking less about what we were like before we were Christians and more about him and what he has done in our lives. Second aspect about grace is this. I want you to notice it through this passage. You have been saved. So the first thing we get is that God initiates. The second thing is this. It's past tense. When you read about the grace of God and you see the grace of God, you realise that you have been approved. Full stop. You have been made alive in Christ through something that you didn't do, that he did, and that's the work of the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, it was sufficient to save you. You cannot add anything else to your salvation. It's all through him. It says in the Bible, a once and for all sacrifice. There's no need for any of us to do anything else. That's why JWs are so miserable when you talk to them on the doorstep. Why are they on the doorstep? Because they're working out their salvation. And you're standing there knowing Jesus, thinking, I don't have to do anything to add to my salvation. I don't even have to help old ladies across the road. I am, come on everybody, I am approved. I am approved through the act of Christ. 
and then it dawns on you, this is totally undeserved. This is totally one-sided. Surely I must do. You know, you speak to people on Alpha. We've got a big Alpha course going at the moment. And you can see people, is, is, I must do something. British people particularly have got to add something to the equation. You only get saved when you realise all sufficiency is through the blood of Christ. I can't, what could I possibly offer to add to that depth of salvation? Verse 8, it is by grace you have been saved. All you have to do is put faith, it says here, in the finished work of the cross. And in the finished work of the cross, you are forgiven of your sins. Can I just say one more thing about that quickly? You're not only forgiven of your sins, your sins are eradicated. When you look at the cross, your sins, your past, your background has been eradicated. You have been approved by God just as you are, you can't add anything to that salvation. You may be here this morning, you may not be a Christian, you may be on Alpha, you may be asking questions about Jesus. You come to a moment where you have to put your faith in what he has done, not in what you are doing. And all the questions we have don't always get answered. You can still put your faith in him and discover salvation. I want to encourage you this morning, you are never going to become a Christian or be worthy of God's grace through the things that you do. It's all because of what he has done. Folks, those of you that are saved, start really looking happy at this point because this is really, really, really good news. The third thing I see from this scripture about this wonderful doctrine is this. It's a gift. It's what it says here, doesn't it? Look, it is verse 8 the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Listen, you cannot earn the grace of God. You cannot buy the grace of God. You cannot work for the grace of God. You have never deserved the grace of God. You don't deserve the grace of God today. I can see that looking at you. <laughs> and here's an important thing for Christians to get. You're never going to deserve it in the future either. So forget trying to do something to, uh, to, to be worthy of getting the grace of God into your life. It is a gift. It's given freely you have received. It's not by works. Why isn't it by works? If you ask yourself that question, what if it's by works, we'd start boasting. That's what it says here. Not by works so that no one can boast. Our boast is in this. I do not deserve this gift that God has given to me. But I have to say the wonder of this reality we're now looking at is the most breathtaking reality that we live with for the rest of our lives. It really is. It's truth that overwhelms you again and again and again. You're saying, why me, Lord? Why me? How did I get this? How did I get this gift? How did I deserve it? Why me? And the answer is, I have no idea. Apart from... Verse 4, but God, because of his great mercy, because of his great love, he just loves you. He gave you the gift because he loves you. <laughs> it's the motivation of your life. He loves you. I passionately, I must get on, but I passionately believe that we've, as Christians we need to get this into our lives. I've spent the rest of my life from the day I was saved back in 1972, still wondering how come that happened. 
And you see, that is the wonder. That is why I worship. That is why I serve. That is the motivation for everything I do. I'm just blown away. I just don't understand how this ever happened to me. And I don't think I ever will. Maybe in heaven I will, but now I do not understand it. It's a gift from God. Now, this is all wonderful stuff. This is, this is the message that transformed those Christians in Acts chapter 11. This is the message <coughs> that's transformed you and transformed me. And it's a wonderful, wonderful message. We've just looked at it briefly. It's huge, folks, the whole of Romans. But it's all about understanding that how, how, doesn't matter how wonderful the grace of God is, it's not meant to just be a doctrine. It's meant to be a doctrine <coughs> that transforms you, that comes and permeates every part of your life. It's interesting, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. He says, that, that, I am what I am by the grace of God. He says, I did not deserve the grace of God. He says, the grace of God was not without effect in my life. He says, I work harder than all of you, but not I, but the grace of God. Now, what is all that saying? It's saying this, Paul understands that this beautiful, wonderful doctrine we've been looking at is not enough in its own. He's saying, the grace of God was not without effect. It's changed me. He's saying, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's given me a new identity. He's saying, I work harder than everybody, but I don't strive. I've just learnt to get, appropriate <coughs> this grace daily, daily, daily into my life. And everywhere you read in Scripture, you see the grace of God is meant to permeate every part of my life and your life. <coughs> it is the most liberating, life-changing and motivating truth that you will ever hear. So I have a problem. And the problem is, if that statement is true, why are there so many miserable, self-condemned, striving, unhappy Christians everywhere? The answer is simple. The doctrine has not yet permeated, changed our lives. There may be some people this morning who say, I've heard the grace of God, I understand the grace of God. I say, brilliant, now the next step is important. Let that grace permeate every part of your life. It needs to be something that enters your life and changes you. I know some guys who can thunder from pulpits on the grace of God. And it's brilliant stuff. And if you go home with them afterwards, you'll find them to be the most miserable people you've ever seen. How does this work? Because they are understanding the doctrine, but they haven't understood that it's meant to change them. It's true for you and me as well. It's interesting that if you read the epistles, <coughs> Paul often starts with all this stuff. The grace of God, the mercy of God, who you are in Christ, your new identity. He doesn't start his letters saying you should pray more, read your Bible more. He talks about who we are in Christ. He talks about the grace of God and the mercy of God. And if you follow the pattern in the epistles, it comes to a point halfway through and he had the word therefore. In other words, this is brilliant stuff, therefore. You get hold of Romans 1 to 8, therefore, there's no condemnation. It's kind of like therefore now, having got this in you, Let's start talking about some changes. Let's start talking about how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. So I think it's fascinating that getting to know the doctrine is great, but then we need to know how it permeates our lives. How do I know this morning if God's grace 
is permeating your life? I have to say right now, I have no idea. (laughs) And the reason is we're in a meeting. And in meetings, we, we we just don't show everything to everybody. And the longer you're a Christian, the more you get expert in knowing how to look like a Christian. So, in other words, you could have been getting ready for this, mor- this morning's meeting, you could have been late, <coughs> you know, next week with the time clocks changing, it's going to be real fun. So, work this out next week, okay, the illustration I'm going to give you. <coughs> but you could be late for the meeting, the kids aren't ready, your wife doesn't seem to be as fast as maybe you'd like her to be, the car's revved up, nothing's happening, eventually everyone comes in, you're looking at the watch, come on, come on, we'll be late, we want to get there in time, and inside you're really getting stirred up and getting a bit aggressive, and then one of the kids traps their finger in the door, screams their head off, and your mother's trying, and then, then you and a, your wife are sitting in the front, the kids, be quiet kids, run away to the meeting, and then you have some kind of confrontation, and then you can't find anywhere to park, and it's really annoying, and, uh, and then you suddenly get, you get a party, and then you're running into the meeting, and you get to the steward, and the steward, good morning, how are you? Say, fine, thank you, hallelujah, <laughs> praise the Lord, brother, well done, marvellous, worship starts, glory to God, I have absolutely no idea what's happening in your life. But if I was to come home with you after this meeting and lived with you for a week, any takers? (laughs) And lived with you for a week, I think that's the way I'd start to discover it. Because the grace of God is not about meetings, the grace of God is life. So if I came to your workplace, would I discover you to be a person of grace? If I watched your family, your marriage, the way you raise your children, or as you as a single person, would I, would I see some of the grace of God with your relationship with your neighbours? All of these things are important. And if I was living with you for a week, very, very quickly, and I discovered you're a person that actually constantly feels condemned about everything, it says to me, the grace of God has not yet permeated your life. Maybe you're a person who, who's very, very intense about everything. The Bible talks about contentment. Maybe you're a person full of anxiety. It says to me something about the lack of grace of God in your life. Perhaps you're someone always striving. Perhaps you're competitive. Perhaps I discover you to be a person who gets easily rejected by other people. Maybe I discover you to be someone full of self-pity or maybe someone judgmental, maybe someone with a low self-image. Folks, this is the deal. This wonderful doctrine is meant to change all of those things. It doesn't happen overnight for many of us. We're on a journey, but this is what we need. We need to say, Lord, please let your grace permeate my life. So can I ask you this question this morning? Is grace permeating your life? So how are you doing at work? Is grace there in your relationship, in your marriage? Is, are you absorbing the grace of God for the way you handle your children? What are you like in a pressurised situation? How do you handle perplexities, things you don't understand? Is the grace of God there? I'm being terribly spiritual about all these things, but how are you driving? 
I've just, you know, I dr- I'm in London, I'm driving all the time. Sometimes it's silly little things like that that make me realise there is not a lot of grace in my life right now for these people all around me. Uh, Liz and I were just in Holland, we got back last night and, and I'm tired because we've been there for two days ministering and things. I'm on the plane, everybody around me before we taxi, is irritating me. I'm running out of grace. How are you standing in a queue? How do you, how do you handle when it comes to standing in queue? I've learnt over the years, standing in queues is for Christians, <coughs> teaching them to have more grace to those around them. And I've learnt, I see another queue going really quickly, <coughs> faster than mine, I go and join that queue and it slows up and the one that I left just keeps going straight through. (coughs) What's this about? It's about the grace of God permeating not just when we're spiritual but everything in our lives. Paul says, (coughs) I am what I am by the grace of God. That's a really great test as to whether or not you and I are really allowing the grace of God to permeate our lives. I wonder how many of you this morning can say this, looking at a mirror. I am what I am by the grace of God. Paul had murdered Christians, (coughs) thrown them into prison, said, you know, I'm the least to be called an apostle, but he's able to stay in the same breath. But I am what I am by the grace of God. That's really the grace of God <coughs> excuse me, permeating our lives. It's no point saying if only I was like someone else then I would be accepted by God. If only I was like so and so I can see that they're really a person that deserves the grace of God. Every time you think like that <coughs> you are shortchanging yourself in terms of understanding the grace of God. When you got saved, you got saved as you are, with all your funny ways, with all your strange looks, with all your weird habits, and with all your mistakes. That's how you got saved. Like that. (coughs) You didn't clean yourself up and then get saved. You got saved even in your sin, (coughs) even with all your funny ways. We struggle with this, because we're thinking all the time how could God accept us? There's so many things wrong in our lives. (coughs) How could he possibly accept us as we are? And that's the wonder of the grace of God. How do you handle failure? How do you handle it when someone comes up to you and says that wasn't very good? (coughs) How do you handle it when someone comes up and says to you that was wonderful? Sometimes it's harder to say that was fantastic, thank you. It says something to me about how God's grace has permeated your life or not. Thank you so much for the way that you brought that prophetic word today. It wasn't me. It was the Lord. I could have sworn I saw your lips move. (coughs) That piano, that keyboard just really, really bless me. Thank you so much for the way you play that. It wasn't me, it was the Lord. I'm sure I saw your fingers moving. We just need to understand there's a sense in which we have to 
appreciate the fact when people say that something needs to change or thank you so much, it tells me something of whether or not you've accepted that. This is massive in terms of the grace of God for people today. Can you say it? I am what I am. (coughs) All my funny ways. (coughs) All my mistakes. But I am what I am by the grace of God. To some people that means I'm a friend. Some people that means I'm apostolic. (coughs) To some it means I'm a pastor. To one it means I'm a husband. To four it means I'm a father. I can't tell you how many grandchildren I've got because I can't remember. <laughs> and to some people, <coughs> it's like I'm, I'm a pain. I have people in my town that cross the road when they see me coming. Do you know what? I am what I am by the grace of God. I, I love to change. I don't want to stay like this. How many of you realise the grace of God can change you? Would you hand up? How many feel that like you need to change? You love to change. How many of you feel... The person next to you needs to change. (laughs) It always gets an amazing response. We need to change, but we are what we are by the grace of God. Thirdly and finally, so that's the grace of God, wonderful doctrine. Secondly, the grace of God permeating our lives. And thirdly, finally, the grace of God on display. This is true of you and I, normal people going through the same hassles and problems and difficulties that people in your street or workplace go through. But there's something about us that's different and I think the grace of God in all of its wonder and amazement is supposed to above all amaze the people who are not yet Christians, who know you, maybe know your background. There's no escapism in the Bible. We don't become Christians and then vanish. And I'm so grateful for that because how will people ever see the grace of God unless they see it through people like you and me (coughs) that they know are not super people? We do go through the same hassles. Recession hits everybody. We go through difficulties. But for them to say, you're going through what I'm going through, you're facing all these difficulties, but there's something about you that's different. What is it? You're not going to say, well, I'm just that kind of guy. I mean, I'm just the sort of person. That's not going to be your answer. Your answer's going to be, well, you know, like Paul, not not I, but the grace of God. Your answer's going to be Jesus. He's the one that makes the difference. Remind you of what it says in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, very quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says this, but we have this treasure this grace, this salvation. We have this treasure in jars of clay. This is it, our bodies. Human, weak. Why? Have you asked yourself that question? What's the point? Why are we still here? Why haven't we gone to heaven yet? To show, says Paul, that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. There are thousands of people in Hastings who have no idea of the grace of God. They've never really heard it. But guess what? They need to meet you. That's what they're waiting for. You think, me? Yes, you. 
They're waiting to see this grace on display. The next verse says, we are hard-pressed on every side. There's a load of people in Hastings like that. But look, the grace-filled person says, but not crushed. Perplexed. How many people here today ever get perplexed about anything? Put your hand up quickly. Have Christians come to me at the end of meetings, they say, they say, do you know what, I don't understand what's going on in my life, I'm really perplexed. I say to them, thank goodness you're like the Apostle Paul. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, by not, but not destroyed. You have to understand that you and I go through what everyone else goes through, and there's a reason for it. And incidentally, when we go through it, we're not afraid. Why? Because God is with us. And so our testimony is, as people watch and observe us going through what they go through, there's this treasure in this earthen vessel. We go through, we're hard-pressed, we get perplexed, but there's something inside of us, which is the grace of God, that causes us to move forward. And it does begin to affect our relationships with one another. So let me finish with this, corporate grace. This is what Barnabas saw in Acts chapter 11, I think, a corporate display of the grace of God. I think he saw the way they were relating to one another, the way they shared their, need, their possessions with, the way they met needs. This wasn't singing songs, folks. This was an outworking of the grace of God that was so tangible, the poor <coughs> had their needs met. They were sharing everything in common. They were enjoying the grace and mercy of God with one another. This is it in action. That King's Church Hastings has the very atmosphere of the grace of God worked out in community. This is how a grace church works. When you come in here, you feel at home. You feel you can make mistakes, actually, and always be given a second chance. You feel you're not being judged, you're being loved, you're being preferred. You're feeling that the relationships and the atmosphere is real, it's informal, it's not an organisation. Folks, can you begin to imagine, just as we close this morning, just how attractive all those things I've just said for anybody in this Hastings area who has never heard or seen the grace of God on display? This is massive. Our society today is in a mess. Crime rates up, drugs out of control, alcohol, pornography, just totally dominating people's lives, obesity, divorce rates up, people are in debt more than ever, suicide rates up, abortions are up. And now, of course, depression is so widespread, people don't really know how to handle it. All those things I've described, the gospel is the only answer. But people are now so far removed from the message because they don't go to church anymore. So not only do they not know how it works, they've not even heard it. We can't wait for them to come. What do we do? We just live our lives. We, and you as a church community... I want to really urge you, be who you are. Live out this community (coughs) that you're enjoying. If I was running past here, I'd stop next week. Just just what on earth is going on here? Who are you? We have people in our church back in London 
who, who are getting saved, they've, 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 they're hearing the gospel for the first time, but the thing that's blowing them away is no one ever told us. And we're every tribe and every tongue and every nation. 26 people are just joining our church at the moment. Only three of them have English as their first language. It is a dynamic display of the gospel. When the world is all going to fall apart, we're all coming together, one new man in Christ. It doesn't matter who you are, or what your background is, or what your skin colour is, whether you're educated or uneducated, you are welcome here. One of the most annoying verses in the Bible is Romans 15, 7. Accept one another as you have been accepted in Christ. But I want to accept people that I like. I don't want to hang out with this. You have small groups in this church, right? When you move into a new small group, you sit there and you look around and what's the first thing you think? You think, this lot are really, really weird. I mean, there's no one here I like, there's no one I relate to and they're all sitting there looking at you and thinking exactly the same. But when the grace of God begins to work and you love people you wouldn't normally hang out with and you have meals together and it's on display and we're helping and caring for one another, and you, and where, where I come from, our local boroughs have said this, the biggest single problem in our society in this borough is isolation. And I'm thinking, <laughs> the Christian community, when it gets the grace of God, it's on display, is the answer to all the isolation. Folks, this is a wonderful doctrine. Please, let this doctrine permeate your life. Please, as a community, Let's let this doctrine be on display for all to see. Because when people see it, when people taste it, when people experience it for themselves, they're going to be drawn in. It doesn't save them, but it draws them to the message. When I first, when I was born in the 50s, people still went to church, they were always hearing this message. Now no one's seeing this message. The message is going to be heard and seen through you and me. We need to keep preaching, preaching the grace of God. Obviously, we need to keep living the grace of God. So we close our eyes. Thank you, Lord, for your presence and thank you for your word. And I want to thank you for this amazing, fantastic bunch of people that I've had the privilege of speaking to this morning, all from different backgrounds, all with different stories. I thank you for the so many in this room that can remember the day when the grace of God first permeated life. Now Lord I pray for that work that you've begun to be completed. I pray for many in this room who understand the knowledge of the grace of God but for one reason or another have not yet allowed it to permeate every part of their lives. Lord, I pray for many to respond to your word today and say, Lord, let there be not one single area of my life where your grace has failed to penetrate. And then, Lord, let's, we want to ask you that this grace will be on display, that people will begin to see and notice And that King's Church, preaching the grace of God, worshipping, overwhelmed by the grace of God, understanding the grace of God, will have the joy of seeing this grace on display at every, every area of life.
that many will come to know you, Jesus. We, we live in a world that's desperate to know something of this grace. Lord, I pray we will not hold it back by the walls of this building, but that we will on, be on display at every, every level, from the youngest to the eldest. We ask it together, and for your glory, Jesus, in your name. Amen.